Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again for Thursday Coast. Today, though, Thursday Coast is not in the person of Marcos. It's in the person of someone we've not talked to in some time. But he's great, if for no other reason, he has the same name, Mark. So we normally it's Marcos and Mark. Now it's Mark and Mark for Thursday Coast. Mark Sumner, who has been writing prolifically on Ukraine since the war began. He's also a great novelist, by the way. Mark Sumner, welcome back to Make It Plain and to Thursday Coast, of course. How are you, buddy? I, I'm good. Thank you, Mark, for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to have you back. But unfortunately, the, the subject matter we want to talk to you about today is, is not very pleasant. Um, first of all, you have been Daily Coast's leading correspondent, so to speak, on what is going on in Ukraine. How did that even come about? What, what drew, that, drew you to that story covering it and, and made you uh, the main guy? You know, it's a really one of those stories that I think is makes journalism so attractive to a lot of people. Why why there's a surplus of journalists out there? Because it's just a great opportunity. I'm just one of those guys that that loves to learn new stuff. I love to go to school. I love to take classes. And if instead of paying somebody to teach teach me something, I can get paid to go out and learn a new subject and just spend all of my time reading and concentrating and uh, and getting on knowledgeable about something, that's great. So uh, definitely, just like with, with COVID-19, I didn't go into this topic being in, by any sense an expert. It's just a matter of, of sitting there day in, day out, and learning who the good sources are, putting together a list of good sources, finding out who you can trust, and, and kind of working out from there. That sounds a lot like the way I think about things. I like to definitely cover subjects that I don't know a lot about, because I learn about them as I cover right. them. So you're right. No, that's a uh, that's a great uh, perspective to have. So let's just start with this week in the beginning of the week. Russia had a parade Monday. Russia had their May 9th parade, their Victory Day parade. It's a parade that's celebrated actually in, in, in several countries and a lot of uh, former Soviet republics. It was a holiday in Ukraine as well for, for victory at the end of World War II. 
Uh, it's when they celebrate their there's essentially their VE day, right? right. But the uh, the the uh, tradition in in Russia has become that that's the day when they roll out all the new military gear and they put the they do the goose stepping down the, down the, through Red Square and and uh, the review all the troops. So I, I think there were a few notable things about this year's parade. Uh, one, very, very few airplanes in the air, you know, just just as when the U.S. does anything where you're having a, a military event, they like to fly over the big flights of jets uh, and and show you off the different bombers and fighters or whatever. You didn't see much of that in, in uh, Russia this year. All of those flights were essentially grounded. You know, they said because of bad weather, but anybody that was watching saw that it was blue skies. So the real suspicions are that they were worried that... Uh, Either some disgruntled person from Russia or uh, some Ukrainians might get in there and and cause an unfortunate incident with one of their airplanes over the middle of Moscow. So so they kept them on the ground. There was also just a little bit smaller amount of, of all of the other vehicles that that usually count on the armored carriers, the, the uh, missile launchers, the tanks, everything just a little reduced this year. Is is it unreasonable to hypothesize that some of that equipment is is deployed in Ukraine? I, I don't think it is. You've seen some of their not the very newest tanks. Russia has a tank called the T-14 Armada, whose specialty appears to be being in the May 9th parade um, because that's the only place you ever see it. They, they rolled it out in 2015. It's it's appeared in the parade every year, but uh, but but that's the only place it's appeared. But they're next to the newest tank, that the T90M, has showed up a couple of times in in Ukraine, and I think it's had a lifespan of about three days in action. So, wow. it uh, it could well be that some of their some of the gear they would like to have showed off in Moscow was actually uh, somewhere in the Donbass. So in terms of of May nice, what was Russian state propaganda like where did they try to spin it as as sort of a, a, a pseudo victory in the current situation as well? Yeah, you know, it's it was uh, a little bit surprising because you thought or I would have thought that Putin would look at something. Uh, for example, Russia this past week took a little town called Papazna. Uh, and I've written about Papazna several times and, and it's a relatively small town, but it kind of had a critical role at the south end of one defensive line. And, and Russia finally managed to capture it after traveling a, a sum of two miles over the whole course of the war to get it. But, uh, but they didn't mention that. They didn't really try to spin anything as a victory. Neither did they mobilize the uh, whole country or, or really do a full declaration of war rather than a special military operation. So they really uh, didn't, and, and Putin's speech was surprisingly light on things that could be viewed as as threats. There was no real uh, ramping up of of the uh, language of threats against NATO or threats against other nations or whatever. So it was kind of a, a surprisingly I don't want to say a weak speech because you know I, I I don't want to encourage Vladimir Putin to be more aggressive in his speaking, but it was uh, but it was definitely I think not what a lot of people expected. So why do you think that? Why do you think he was so reserved? I, you know, it's not it's not really clear. Part of it could be just uh, a lack of domestic support for taking that next step. You know, Russia has uh, taken steps over the course of this war to really 
restrict media access in the country and really try to present one uh, side of things through their propaganda. But I think the message is getting through to a lot of people that uh, that this is not going well. I think it's very hard for even even Putin to stand in Moscow and pretend that this is going according to plan. Yeah. And it's, you, you say a, a lack of popular support. Heretofore, we've gotten the, gotten the impression that the propaganda is working and that people in Russia support this. Is, is that not true? Is that actually waning now? You know, it's almost impossible to tell. You know, what what poll can you trust from from Russia? And when people get just one side of the story uh, in any sort of official media, uh, you know, how informed are they? But but we've certainly seen a lot of transcripts and phone calls from from uh, soldiers in Ukraine back to their families. And I think some of that word is getting out that that things are uh, not going neatly and that uh, and that this, this operation is not as described in the media back home. We're speaking of the lack of neatness and tidiness. Uh, you've written about some other developments this week. What's going on in Kharkiv? Uh, Kharkiv has is, is been um, where all the action has been over the last two weeks. So, so Kharkiv is the, the second largest city in Ukraine, and it has the unfortunate location of being only about uh, 30 miles away from a Russian town called Volgorod across the border there, which is where a Russian military base is. So Almost all of the equipment that's in Ukraine, uh, in the Donbass and in South Ukraine has come through that area and passed through a couple of, of uh, uh, rail nexus and, and road nexus just to the east and south of, of Kharkiv. So early on in the war, Kharkiv was practically surrounded and it has just been shelled day in and day out for two solid months. And Russia held a whole series of small villages right on the outskirts of Kharkiv, where it could just hammer the city with artillery. If you've, if you've seen any pictures from Kharkiv, the damage that it has suffered is, is second, you know, only to like Mariupol. It has just been really hit hard. But starting about two weeks ago, you saw Ukraine moving out, capturing those nearby villages, just one after another, establishing that, that ring of, of uh, safety, kind of pushing the Russian troops back to where they could no longer shell the city uh, with impunity. And then you've had a couple of things happen in just the last week that are kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Ukrainian forces moved really quickly and surprisingly to take a town called Staria Saltiv, which is all the way uh, up. It's about 40 kilometers away from, from uh, Kharkiv. And they did that by sort of bypassing some other villages, taking some back roads, just about showed up in, in Russia's backyard. And, and took that uh, town. And then yesterday, or on uh, Monday, reportedly, uh, Ukraine took a town called Ternova, which is literally on the Russian border. That's still to be confirmed, but, it, but it's been reported by a lot of uh, sources that have been good so far in the war. And with that, they've sort of cut Russia's control around that Kharkiv area, away from the rest of Russia's control in Ukraine and uh, have isolated a little pocket of Russian forces there. So that's causing Russia to have to scramble a little bit and relocate troops from other areas. So it's really having an impact on, on the broader war. Can you give us a sense of 
just what areas Russia does have legitimate control of in Ukraine? You've got the the Donetsk and Luhansk areas that that Russia's had for essentially eight years, and of course, uh, the Crimea as well. But they've moved out pretty quickly in the first few days after the invasion and sort of consolidated around that area. So they've got a lot of south and very extreme east of Ukraine, uh, with the exception of that tiny little pocket that's still holding out down in Mariupol. But uh, the, they've been trying to push through a lot of lines there on the east. And I'll go back to the town of Popozna because it's a good example. If you look, it's, it was a small town, or I come from a town of only about 3,000 people. So to me, it was a big town. It was a town of about 20,000 people before 2014. But really, since Russia came in in 2014, it, that population's probably been cut in half. But they were only two miles away from another town, a town that Russia did control. So if you if you go on Google Maps right now, you can look at Popozna and you can zoom down. And if you turn on the satellite imagery, what you will see is just big green farm fields. It looks like any place that could be in Indiana or Iowa, except on a close scale, it's got a lot of little trenches dug across those fields. For eight years, these guys in eastern Ukraine in that in the area controlled by Ukraine and the area controlled by Russia have been building trenches, fortifications, uh, pillboxes. It really does have something of a World War I feel right there in that area. So um, like I say, Popozna was just two miles away from another town, Pervomask, that Russia had controlled. It has taken Russia 70 some days to travel that two miles. So that's the kind of movement you're seeing in Eastern Ukraine. And that doesn't sound very like a sign of success in, in terms of the spaces that it does occupy. Does it matter to this agenda to ultimately get Ukraine to submit? I mean, are, are their advances as slow as they are, the spaces that they are able to maintain some semblance of control over Mark? Do, does any of that ultimately amount to, hey, we're, we're really doing something here. We're getting control of Ukraine or, what, or no. What they'd like to do is, is push out, you know, they've got they've got a lot of troops massed at, around a town called Izium. They've got a lot of troops in, uh, in that eastern area, north of Papazna, up through Donetsk in that area. What they'd really like to do is, is kind of bring those two together. And that would allow them to sort of surround all of those Ukrainian forces that are sitting there at those trenches looking east, right? If they could come around behind those guys, then they wouldn't have to worry about all those pillboxes and fortifications and trenches that have been built to keep Russia from coming in from the east. So that's really what they would like to do is just to kind of encircle those forces. And they've been they've been trying and they've had limited success. They've moved forward at a few spots, but if you watch every day, if you if you look at any review of the war every day, what you'll find is Russia moved forward here and they took this little village, right? And then you'll also see Russia attacked here and here and here and were repelled. Well, every one of those and repelled, you know, comes with a loss of tanks or armored equipment and mostly people. So every day they're they're having one small success and multiple small failures and they're just kind of bleeding a lot of people and i guess the question is 
well, we know what has been happening. Many civilians have lost their lives. Right. What is in the places where they occupy? What is the status of, of those civilians and those people living in those occupied spaces? How are they being treated? Do we know? Well, you know, I, I think we've had some some examples. Um, if you look at in the, the the southwest right now, if you look to the to the large city of Kirsten, you can see people there that are kind of being held. They're not being allowed out of town. But at least, you know, Kirsten has electricity. It has water. It has you know some level of food. So those people are they're They're held captive. And uh, and they have no choice about where they can go, or what they can do. But they uh, and they're, they're essentially under military control in their own homes. But, you know, they're not starving. But you can then look at, at what happened with like Mariupol, where, where Russia's strategy in a lot of cases has been just fire artillery until you've reduced the town to rubble and then march over the rubble. And that's been the case in a lot of small towns, villages and, and cities as well. And it, it's a strategy they used in Georgia and Chechnya and Syria as well. So that's that's just kind of their tactic. So if you're if you happen to be in one of those towns where uh, where they've reduced it to rubble, and then they just come across you and you've got your gas is out, your electricity is out, there's no water, there's no food. That there's not much evidence that Russia is doing anything to address that, except in Mariupol where they do seem to be uh, taking a lot of people, putting them on buses and sending them to unknown locations in Russia. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Meanwhile, it would seem that more are joining Ukraine's cause more weapons and supplies coming in from the West. Ukraine is only being buttressed while Russia is only, from the way you describe it and from all the reports we've seen, in a state of diminishing returns. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, we saw today that Russia or that Ukraine has gotten some of the M777 um howitzer pieces that the 90 i think 89 of the 90 that the u.s promised are in ukraine and some of those are starting to show up on the battlefield and saw a couple of those at work in eastern ukraine today so those are are making a difference but if, if you look at, at russia still has a tremendous amount of force available to them right over the years they they may be throwing away t t72 tanks um cheaply but they've got a lot of them, and they've made thousands of these tanks over the years. They've, they they uh, they they have a different policy than we do. We we tend to you know try to build a really good quality product, and we tend to put a lot of training into our soldiers, and we tend to have. Marcus has talked about this extensively. How important it is that that the U.S. has a lot of non-commissioned officers, all those sergeants and master sergeants that that kind of fill in and and can take that that order that comes from the officers and translate it into actions on the ground. And Russia doesn't do that. They, they just throw things at you in masses. Um, so we shouldn't expect that just because Russia is losing a lot of people, losing a lot of equipment, that that's going to be a signal that they should give up. That's, that's their 
tactic anyway. Marcos has also educated us about that hierarchy or lack thereof. And that's, he told, he explained us earlier on, that's why so many generals are being killed. Yeah. So this, this story was prominent last week. Oh, U.S. intelligence is targeting generals. I started calling one of the shows and say, no, actually, Marcos told me the generals are pretty easy to find. Because they, they're, so right. I could probably go over there and find a couple myself today. They've, they've got to be right there on the front line. There's <laughs> nobody to take their orders and translate them into something. You know, a, a typical Russian tactic is just line up a bunch of tanks and say, go that way. And that's about as complex as the orders get. They, Russia still in this war has not demonstrated an ability to, to execute the kind of combined arms that a force like the U.S. Army really counts on, right? Where they combine the actions of the infantry and, and uh, the artillery and the tanks and, and the drones or, or, or Air Force with them all working together to, to execute a plan. They, they uh, I, I like the way someone described it where it's called the like uh, reconnaissance by fire. Russia likes to practice reconnaissance by fire, which is just send a bunch of guys forward. And when somebody shoots at them, then you know where they're, where the other guys are. And uh, they've, they've been practicing that a lot in this invasion. That sounds kind of like old fashioned revolutionary war and, and civil war tactics. Everybody just lines up and gets shot. <laughs> I, I, I think one of the things we're seeing in this, it's, it was very easy early in this war when people started seeing the number of tanks and armored vehicles that were going down. I think with a lot of people ready to say, well, the age of the tank is over. And I think that's that's not completely true. But there's there's still room on the battlefield for, for armored craft, and they, they have to play a role in that combined arms tactics. What's what the age of is over is just send a tank forward and nothing can stop it, because a guy with a thing he can put on his shoulder can stop a tank. That's interesting. Putin is Putin is such a failure that he would lead people to believe that tanks have become obsolete because he doesn't know how to use them. That's exactly. that's heavy. Um, <laughs> but you, but you you're saying now that in in spite of that in, ineptitude, that they can still hang in there and sustain this. But for how long, though? Mark, I mean, what what ultimately will be the breaking point or will there just not be one? Can this go on in, endlessly and infinitely? I, I think it can go on, unfortunately, a lot longer than people would would like to think. Right. There's no there's no um, set deadline. Putin is not going to stop because they've lost 50,000 guys or even 100,000 guys. That's none of that is is on his agenda that says there's no there's no cutoff for what kind of losses they can experience that will make them stop, um, especially if they feel like and and this is true. Ukraine is also taking losses and some of those losses are, are pretty crushing. So uh, we're providing them with a lot of good equipment. A lot of our NATO partners are, have really stepped in. And I think one of the great stories of this whole thing is the work that was done behind the scenes before Putin came across the line to pull NATO back together after four years in which uh, there was a guy that uh, worked very hard to kind of tear NATO apart and uh, plant a lot of seeds of doubt among our, our uh, allies. 
but uh, but you know Biden and his team have worked very hard behind the scenes to get everybody singing from the same hymnal again, right? And and uh, as time has gone on, you've seen the willingness to give Ukraine uh, more and more complex weapon systems, heavier weapon systems. But, you know, early on, it was kind of like um, even the West had that expectation. This is going to be a, a one-week affair. We Even guys that were supportive of UK, Ukraine thought it would go like this. We thought Russia would come in, they'll take the cities, they'll put in their puppet government, and then Ukraine will keep fighting as, you know, in the same way that people kept fighting in Afghanistan or in Vietnam. You'll see a lot of, of um, guys out in the woods fighting in small team tactics or whatever, and that's that the war would continue that way. That's just not how it happened. And the longer that Ukraine has, has proven that they can stay together, you know, as a, as a coherent government, a coherent armed forces, and can execute the kind of complex strategy that Russia seems unable to execute, the more willing the U.S. and everybody else is to, to give them better and better systems, systems that it's okay to take three weeks out and train some guys in Germany on how to use this artillery because they, you know, they're not going to fall. Kiev is not going to fall in the three weeks while they're being trained. Speaking of Afghanistan, Mark, Putin doesn't remember that. It was being bogged down there that ended the yeah. once Soviet Union. Right. He still pines for. I mean, why, has he forgotten that? I, you know, I don't think he has, but of course, you know, Putin has said that he regards the fall of the Soviet Union as the, the great tragedy of, of the last century. So I, I, I think he wants the chance to prove that he can do it better. You know, and, and in Syria, in Chechnya, in uh, uh, Georgia, you know, the Russian army ultimately proved uh, victorious, even if it, even if they took tremendous losses, uh, and they did it just by grinding it out, right? They just, like I say, they just they put the artillery up front. They blasted the cities until they were rubble, and then when the cities were rubble, they walked in. And that's that's the tactic that they're trying to employ in Ukraine as well. We've just got to stop them, stop the artillery, and and you stop that tactic. And there was some good news today. For the first time, we saw reports out of eastern Ukraine that some of those M77, M777 howitzers that, that the U.S. has given them that have gotten to the scene um, had outranged and taken out a Russian artillery. So, you know, they do what they call counter battery fire because all these, the new artillery has a little computer on it. And when it sees an incoming shell, it can backtrack and figure out where that shell came from. So if you've got a good counter battery computer and you've got range on the other guy's artillery, the other guy's artillery just fires once. Wow. That's, that's some technology for you. You said something, Mark. He thinks he can do it better. You know, yeah. the, that's the that's the problem with addiction. And, and the junkie thinks he can beat the drug. That not that the drug has him. Exactly. <laughs> he thinks he can beat it. So this and folks, addiction just isn't uh, uh, controlled substances now. You know, their addictions to power and ego and you know uh, megalomania and and clearly that's what we're dealing with here. Very interesting. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. For those of you who've been trying to follow the coverage of the war, and it has not been made very plain to you or put in such a way that you understand, I'm sure you've gotten that just from our conversation with Mark this week on this edition of Thursday Coast. So I would invite you, you know, these broadcasts, this show is, is just the cliff notes for what you can actually read. So we invite you to go to dailycoast.com, subscribe to Mark's diaries. Uh, he writes about this extensively every day. Um, and, and obviously you, you can hear in his voice today and you can read in his writing. He writes as a curious journalist, which all journalists should do. We don't need no more know-it-all journalists. A lot of folks, on they, they can only afford the soundbite anyway. Mark will take you more in depth. So I invite you to follow Mark Sumner at dailycoast.com, the largest online progressive community, as we always say. And we're going to keep him close at hand. Won't be so long the next time we hope not. And because he's got so many important things to share and educate us and enlighten us about Mark Sumner, thank you for joining us on this week's Thursday Coast on Make It Plain. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Hope I'll be back soon. You will. You will. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.